Hi, and welcome to the Trailside Channel. We are so glad you're joining us. God has a place and a purpose for you, and we hope this message helps you find that and know how much He loves you. Thanks for stopping by and enjoy the message. How are we doing this morning, guys? Good. Okay, so we're, we're getting there. That's all right. Hey, I'm Sean. If it's your first time, uh, so thankful to have you guys here. Mikey kind of said already, but there's this fun little thing uh, that you can take a picture of on your phone and it'll pop right in and we can uh, learn a little more about you and say hello and just learn how we can serve you, how we can love you, care for you, um, answer any questions you have, that kind of thing. Uh, before we dive right in, I got two quick things to tell you about that I want to um, really push you toward uh, here in a couple weeks. The first thing is that we have our two-year anniversary coming at the end of this month, if you can believe that. Yeah, you can celebrate that. Um, And one thing that we have consistently heard from people in our church is like, hey, we want to hang out with people in the church more. And so we thought, well, that's a great opportunity. Uh, So after the the anniversary, we're going to have a party. We're going to have a potluck because we're in the South and people love potluck and casseroles. Everybody loves casserole, right? Yeah. Yeah, I expect uh, 16 different kinds of macaroni and cheese and hash browns, um, and then the one guy who's going to remember to bring soda. So, um, no, but we're going to have a potluck. It's going to be great. Uh, We just want to celebrate that moment with you guys, and um, we'll have a big cake and all that kind of fun stuff, too. Uh, I'm sure with some gluten-free options, because my wife is gluten-free, so i got to take care of mama. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah, yeah, so uh, that's happening um, Growth Track 1.0 is happening today. Growth Track is kind of our way of getting to know you and you getting to know us as a church and find out if we'd be a good fit. Honestly, uh, I know that churches typically are saying, like, come to us, we'll make this better. Come here, be here, be here. Well, what we want to do is make sure that we're a good fit for you. Because what I don't want is for someone to come to our church and then find out that we believe one way or think another and then they get mad and, you know, then I got to deal with that. And that's not fun for anybody. So, We actually want to help you discover who you are, how God created you, and then see if this is a great fit for you. Um, Because what we do is a little bit different. Uh, Not biblically or theologically, don't worry about that. Um, But who we believe we're supposed to be in the deep south and in the city of Traveler's Rest. And so we want to be able to share those moments with you, give you an opportunity to ask questions, uh, meet me, meet our staff, and uh, have some time to talk through that. Lastly, one thing I'm very excited about that I want you to be excited about as well. If you are a married person in the room, I want you to listen. We have our very first marriage retreat happening at the end of February. It's going to be awesome. This is not a conference. This is not an opportunity for you to go and your wife to hear all the ways that she lets you down and your husband to hear all the ways that he's lazy and then you to point fingers at each other, right? That's not what this is about. I've been to those conferences before, and it's really fun on the way home. It's a great conversation, right? Lots of elbows being tossed, you know, like, did you hear what he said then? That's not what we're doing. This is a marriage retreat. It is a we want you and your wife or you and your husband to come with us and to take a breath away from kids. Can I get a hallelujah? Amen. Yeah, that's the most charismatic we've been yet. Like, praise Jesus, no kids. Um, well, you're a kid. Tough. Um, <laughs> but here's the reality. We are going to spend some time together figuring out how to be better together. Husbands, we're going to have some time of just us hanging out, doing what men do, you know, talking about football, I guess. I don't know. Um, 
No, we're going to be figuring out how we can be better husbands and wives. You're going to be on the other side of the room talking about being wives and what that looks like. And then we're going to get together and we're going to talk through some really fun stuff that I'm not going to share with you because I want you to be there. But here's the deal. It's super affordable. It's in Asheville at a beautiful hotel. Um, It covers almost everything you need for the entire week. And if you just feel really in love, you can even have an extra night at the hotel for a super discounted rate because we have a little bit of a hookup. Um, and, but we want you to experience that. Uh, we, just, we, we want to invest in families. We do that with Parents Night Out, with giving families and uh, people a chance to rest and have their kids babysat for free. And we want to do that for you as well as just married people who need a break um, and who need some time to kind of reacclimate their lives. I am married. Uh, I forgot my wedding ring because it's wooden and I took a shower this morning, so congrats to me. Um, but uh, yeah, we believe in marriage. We want you to as well. So with that being said... We're going to dive into the Gospel of Matthew this morning, right at the very end to one of my favorite verses and what I hope will soon be one of your favorite as well as you're turning over to Matthew 28. Um, If you don't know, football is coming to an end, which is terribly sad, I know. Um, I I was hoping to wear my Browns helmet at the end of the season as well as I did on the front end. Um, but, you know, things didn't go just perfectly planned. So, uh, but one thing that I did see uh, yesterday is, is, well, one thing I noticed is that this is one of the most exciting times for football. It's also, if you're a Browns fan, one of the saddest times um, because you see everyone else celebrating things that I've never in my life gotten to celebrate. Um, it's okay. One day I will, hopefully, maybe. And then Jesus. I, I, this is what I know is going to happen the Browns are going to get to the Super Bowl, and then the day before, the Lord's going to come back. <laughs> like, great. Thanks, Jesus. Found a way for me to even get mad about that. Um, just kidding. It's a joke. But there's a really popular question right now, and if you're not a football fan, I try to stay away from sports references, but this one makes sense today. Uh, Tom Brady, who is the, unfortunately one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, uh, maybe played his last game as a Patriot last night. And he's been there for 20 years. And the, the conversation was, well, he has an opportunity to go anywhere. What's he going to do? You know, is he going to stay a Patriot or is he going to go to a new team? Is, is he going to go and try to win one more Super Bowl? And I was sitting there while I was watching this game last night thinking, like, the, the issue is not it, where is Tom Brady going to go? The issue is this guy is 42, almost 43 years old, married to a supermodel with more money than he ever wants. Does he actually even want to continue? Like, that's the question you should ask. Like, do you, do you actually want to keep going? Is the willpower, is the desire there? Not like, where's he going to go and who's he going to let down? And there were fans burning his jersey last night, which is incredible. Um, so if you're in here and you're a Patriots fan, maybe you should grow up and not burn jerseys of a guy who led you to six Super Bowls, but that's just me, the Browns fan, talking. But, um, but no, but the real question isn't what the person that's going to do. It's the heart behind it. Does he have the heart and the desire to actually continue? Is there, is there anything left in the heart? Not anything in the tank, not anything in the action, but is his heart still in what it is he's called to do? And I, like I said, I try not to use sports references, but I think that those references work well for the church as well. And so the question that I want to ask as we go dive into this Matthew 28 today is, um, what about that also speaks to the church culture? Like, what does success look like? 
What's the desire and the will supposed to be? How do we get to a point where any of this matters? Right? I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a few churches here in the South. A couple. Right? Like the days are gone when somebody's having a fallout and they're falling apart and they go, man, I just got to get to the church. And they go to the corner to the big Baptist or the big Catholic church and you know, they go and have someone love them and walk them through some stuff. Those days are gone. There's churches everywhere. But what's now kind of inhabited church culture is, well, what does it mean to be a successful church? Yeah, have, you all heard, have you all heard that? Like, oh, how, how, how well are they doing? And here's what that looks like. It looks like a thousand people. It looks like a really buff, beautiful pastor. So one of two going right now. Um, it looks like loads of money, lots of great things, people blowing up everywhere. But I, I don't think that's what actual church success is. But I don't think that's what ministry success is. It's not about the championships, per se. In fact, I think the question is that we need to be asking is, does the mission of the church, is it actively shifting the entire culture of the city that it's in? Like that's, what, that's what the gospel should do, right? It should dramatically shift the culture of the city that it's in. That's what a successful church is. A successful church isn't a million dollars in the bank account, although, I mean, that's cool if you have it, we'll take it. I'd love to buy this land and do some stuff in the back of it. It's, it's not about how happy people are, how dynamic the speaking or the music is. The, the success of a church, of a ministry, should be, is it vastly impacting and shifting the culture of the city that it's in? Because that's called making a difference and having a purpose. And if it doesn't do that, then I don't know what we're doing. It has to have a dynamic vision to chase instead of just a list of goals to achieve. Because see, now you're taught, and I'm taught, being America, that the way that we succeed is by achieving goals, right? It's called the American dream. You guys heard about the American dream? Yeah? Anybody overwhelmed and think the American dream is kind of overdone and tired? Because what does it say? It says, right, get married, have 2.5 kids, have a big house on a lot of land, have money and stuff, go on really nice vacations, and that, that will equal happiness. That, that's the American dream, right? But here's, here's what, I, what I think the issue is. The issue of why America is more depressed than ever Statistically speaking, we are a more depressed nation than ever. I think the reason is because we have decided a list of goals will bring happiness and joy, but what instead it actually is, is what we need to have is vision and purpose in order to gain joy and fulfillment. And we've long sought after a list of goals and success instead of vision and purpose. And it's, guys, like, listen, it's left you dry. It's left us weak and tired and depressed and feeling like maybe everything that we thought would bring us to a point where we want to be isn't everything we thought. And I think that's a very biblical thing because we've allowed achieving goals to become more important than following vision. And I think the reality of what we're learning is that following vision is 10 times greater than achieving goals in a personal setting, in a church setting, in a parenting setting, in a child, and whatever you're in, I think that's the issue here. Because <clears throat> you can achieve goals and be empty. It's easy. You, you want proof? 
Go talk to tons of CEOs of companies who are at the top, who are still striving for every dollar and don't know why they're not happy yet. It's proof. It's there. It's right in front of us. But what shifts that is purpose and vision because that changes the culture around us. Man, I'm an Ohio State fan, and last week hurt. Let's just get past that and beyond that. That's fine. Okay? Why, why, why is Dabo Sweeney such an uh, amazing idol for people? Like, why do people look up to him so much? Because do you think another million dollars is going to change that man's life? No. Vision. Purpose. When people ask him what he does, he says, we change young men's lives. Like, come on. That should get us excited. Kirk Herbstreit, who is a, uh, was an NCAA player and now is a huge commentator at ESPN, went to Ohio State, played for Ohio State, sent his sons to Clemson, his twin boys, and said, because I know that he will make sure they have a trajectory after life to care about things other than just football. I'm like, my goodness. That's vision. That's purpose. And here's the difference. What vision does is that vision is a vehicle that keeps you on mission, that keeps you in purpose. It's sustainable. It's something to follow. It's an ongoing process. And what we've allowed to happen, church, is you've allowed, well, we've allowed ourselves to believe a lie that vision isn't what we need. It's goals that we need. Goals are these measurable destinations, right? How many people have made a New Year's resolution, I'm going to get down to X pounds? Anybody? Woo-woo! Just me. Two of us. Right? It's a number game. It's, it's never, I'm going to live a healthier lifestyle. I want to make better choices. I want this whole thing to change. It's like, I'm going to get these 10 pounds down, and then I'm going to make the choices that I need. I've got a benchmark I've got to reach. But I, I think that's what leaves us so empty is that instead of just these benchmark achievements, the real issue is that we need to change what we believe in and what we care about and the vision we have for ourselves. Because when our goals are achieved and we've arrived, there's no reason to keep fighting. And what that does is it leads to apathy. And apathy is killing the church. Spiritual apathy is killing the church. Caring more about our comforts than other people's salvations and futures is killing the church. And it's abundantly clear in the way that we care for and love people. But I have good news for you and for me. What we're about to read in Matthew 28, there's God Jesus speaks, and it's kind of a big deal. Maybe you've heard of him. But what he's about to say has some pretty incredible context. Jesus has just died, was buried, and then resurrected and started appearing to people. And he actually went to his disciples. And he walks up to his disciples after he's been resurrected, and he gives this thing called the Great Commission, right? If you've been in church, you've heard about the Great Commission. Some of us who were inhabited in our Baptist culture and backgrounds, that's like, on every wall, right? One of the things I loved about Charleston Southern is as I was leaving the campus, it said, you're now entering the mission field. And I thought, I'm going to be a future pastor. That's what I want to hear. But you know what we've done? We've let it become cold. We've let it become just a thing. And I think that's what I want to get away from today. So I want to read this to you, and then we'll get back to it. This is what it says in Matthew 28, verse 16. I remember Jesus just appeared to his disciples. And he says, it says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. 
And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. Now that, that is a dynamic vision. Right? Imagine this. Jesus has defeated death. He's reappeared to his disciples. And he doesn't say like, hey, celebrate me. Good news. It's all over. We're done. Congratulations. You made it. Eleven of you. One of you kind of screwed up. No, you know what he does? He looks at his disciples and he gives them purpose. Let's remind ourselves what happened when Jesus died on the cross. What happened to the disciples? Anybody know what they did? They ran. Peter even said, like, I don't know you and cussed out a 12-year-old girl. That's legitimate. He did. He said, get away from me. I don't know this guy. And then he reappears to them. And the first thing he does is he gives them purpose. Gives them vision because here's what changes or here's what removes apathy is a dynamic vision. You cannot be apathetic towards something when you have a dynamic reason and purpose why you should chase after it with everything you are. But you know what, guys? I've gone to a lot of churches. I've worked at a lot of churches. I've been a part of churches where Everyone is really cool about coming in and hearing something that sounds really good and being like, wow, that was great, and then walking out the door and then doing it again next week. Is that, is that good enough for you? Because I got news for you. It's not good enough for me. Not, not just for, for the church that I lead, but also for me. It, it's not good enough for me to be apathetic towards something that Jesus is giving us and calling us to do that changes and shifts entire cultures of the cities that we inhabit. That's, it's not good enough for me to be apathetic toward it. But here's what happens. When we, get ap- when we get apathy toward the vision, we get apathy toward the mission. When we're not excited about what we're doing, then the whole goal of what we're doing becomes kind of tired. And when that happens, everything dies. And I don't mean to get overly practical because we're going to get into some of the very spiritual application here of what Jesus says, but, but I just need to say this, and I think you just need to hear it. We just need to hear it. We let that same apathy that we have toward Jesus creep into the apathy in our relationships, into our marriages, toward parenting, how we raise our kids. And that moves into how we treat other people and then how we treat God. And what, and what happens is apathy kills vision. Apathy kills purpose. And so when our marriages are falling apart, it, it's, never, it's never what's happening right now and some horrible thing happened. It's the six years in front of that that now led to this moment where now you're at a crisis. And it's because we spent six years or six months or however being apathetic toward our spouses. Or when our children are faltering and falling apart and we don't know why, it's not because they just decided to be really bad, although I wish that was the answer, because then at least you could fix it right away, right? It's the, it's the weeks and months before that 
that we had apathy toward parenting. We said, here's a screen, go sit down, stop bothering me, I'm tired. That now led to our children falling apart. And then that produces panic. And then we do that toward God and we say, well, God, I'm going to go and I'm going to read. Or I'm going to go to church, you know, once every few weeks. And I'll listen to Jesus music when I'm having a tough day. And eventually we get cold toward God and the mission dies. And then we wonder, how do we ever get to a point where this didn't matter anymore? And we cry out to God and God's going, listen, I've been waiting for you for six years. What are you doing? See, apathy toward these things that matter is what destroys us and tears us apart. And when there's apathy, a shift in culture cannot happen. And we cannot be apathetic toward the mission, the commission that God gives his people and his disciples. We can't be. And in this new series, brand new, that's the heart of what we're talking about. Is that we are no longer going to allow apathy to inhabit our worship, our attitude, the people we are, and the calling we have as a church. Because apathy kills vision. And Jesus gives the disciples a world-changing vision, right? Remember, uh, let's get back to this. Remember what happened. He's resurrected. He's come up to his disciples. Some of them worship. Some of them don't. hey oh, there's another conversation we'll have in a minute. And you know what he does? He gives them an incredibly dynamic vision and purpose. He says, now that you're here, here's what I want you to do. Go into the world, make disciples of all the people, baptize them, teach them to obey, and trust me because I'll be with you forever. Guys, this is not just Jesus teaching on a mountainside, okay? We have tons of moments, and we don't even have, I think, but a, a little tiny bit of Jesus' ministry, his three years in ministry. We have this much of it. But this is not, this is a moment that stands out from the rest, because this is not a moment where Jesus is just like, hey, there was a sower, and he threw seed on the ground, and then this happened. This is when he looks at his people, and he says, listen, because I have all authority, you go and do this thing. That, that is a huge, huge difference. That's a dynamically different moment. It's a world-changing and shifting vision. And it kills me that that's become a yawn for so many of us. It, it kills me that I look at churches and I look at people and we look at our pillows and we say, I'd rather worship that than worship Jesus right now. Y'all, we don't have time for that. Thank God, thank God that God put people in my life to look at me and to care more for me than they did for rest that night, that morning. I praise God for those men and those people in my life who took this and carried it well because they were given a dynamic vision. And so what I want to do is I want to give you a few things that show dynamic vision and what we want to be about and then tell you what we're going to do for the next year. And I'm just going to hope and pray that you'll dive in because i got nothing else left. So first thing is this. Verse 16. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Here, here's the first thing that we need to have before we dive into the rest. We need to know this. You need to know this. I need to know this. That obedience always precedes purpose. 
before Jesus told them anything, what's the first thing he did? He said, go to the mountain. Go to Galilee. Leave where you are. Go into Galilee, into the city, and go to this mountain, and I'll meet you there. The first thing the disciples did was say yes. They went exactly where Jesus told them to do. Here's what we've missed, church. Number one, we've missed that we even have a purpose. You know why people are going to places where it's really comfortable, when you can sit back and kind of exist? Because you can go and just enjoy and consume on a Sunday morning and not have to do anything with it. But you know what that lacks? Purpose, fulfillment, joy. Listen, serving and being a part of a church and being a part of a mission is not so that we can have more people here. It's because you need that in your life to experience the joy so that you don't miss out on this incredible thing God has for you by being a part of something bigger than you. It's crazy. But man, it's so easy just to sit back and rest and be like, well, I'm tired. I just just don't think that's the call. I don't think that's what Jesus wants for us. The disciples went exactly where Jesus told them before they could receive anything. And one thing that we've done is that we've, we've believed this lie that we should get the spoils without fighting the war. Right? Entitlement is crazy. It is, that's awesome. So let's not be upset with that at all. Kids are loving hearing about Jesus right now over there, and it's killer. But entitlement is killing our church. Big C church. National church. Global church. See, we want all the good stuff without actually having any of the Jesus behind it. We want all the good stuff without the sacrifice. I didn't get this incredible body from not working out and eating fast food all the time. That's actually exactly how I got this body, by not working out and eating fast food all the time. Because sometimes you need dinner chips at 11 o'clock at night, am I right? Yeah. I know God loves us because of cheddar and sour cream. That's how I know. No, no, we want all the, all the good stuff, but we don't want the work for it. Do you know why I know this? Listen, I'm gonna stay on this fitness train for some reason, that's where I'm at. How many infomercials have you seen with people who are like, you just put this band on, hit a button, it shakes you for about 10 minutes, and you've worked out for the day? What? I've never, ever gone to the beach or the pool and seen some dude just jacked out of his mind, be like, how'd you get there? And he's like, well, I bought this band. (laughs) Went through lots of batteries, but man, look at what it did to my abs. (laughs) Incredible. But y'all, listen, we want that with Jesus. It's crazy. It's crazy. We want kids that love Jesus well, but we aren't willing to sacrifice and follow Jesus first so that we can lead them. We want to not be fearful about money and stuff, but we don't give him any of it. We just hoard it all and hope that he's going to work within it. We want to see our friends and our neighbors and our family not fight. Who wants to go to Thanksgiving and not have to deal with the weird uncle that says stuff nobody wants to hear? Anybody? But here's the answer to that. Here's the answer to that. Jesus, mission, vision, purpose. 
following Jesus and taking the commission and actually living it in your life so that people meet Jesus and their desires change from wanting to make you look stupid at Thanksgiving to loving Jesus really well. And when enough of those people get in the same room, an entire culture shifts and changes a city. That is the problem. Spiritual apathy leads to spiritual laziness. And we've said, I'm going to throw a little infomercial belt on and I'm going to have big spiritual muscles. No. Y'all, we don't have time for that. This church does not have time for that. People's lives don't have time for that. And I'm not okay with an infomercial strength belt shaking us around and hoping to produce enough Jesus so we can have money to do stuff and look really good to the community. I'm done with that. We can't be that church. We never will be. Because the first call God makes us is obedience. And if we're holding on to our money and our time and what we're able to do and our relationships and our vulnerability and we hold all that in so people don't experience it, then we cannot experience spiritual strength and power. We're going to get spiritually fat and tired and apathetic. And y'all, there's enough churches doing that. I don't want that to be here. But step two can't happen if step one isn't taken. If the disciples never show up where Jesus tells them, they never get the message. Now, I believe God is sovereign and providential and all those things, so this was going to happen. But the reality is they had to be there for Jesus to say it. And I think God may be waiting on us and on you and me to be obedient first so that he can give us the very thing that he wants to do in this city. I'll look back to Matthew 25 and the parable of the talents. And God looks at, his, at three servants, or Master looks at three servants, and he gives them talents. He gives them money and says, hear this, hold on to this, hold on to this, hold on to this. And the first one goes, and I think uh, fivefold, right, Josh? Fivefold. And the master comes back, and he's like, I had this. Look what I did with it. And the master says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Go. And the second guy takes in, and he, does, he gets threefold of the talents, right? Yeah, and he goes, man, master, this is what I've done with what you've given me. And he goes, great job. Go. And the third guy's like, hey, I, I was scared of you. I know that you're a, a tight person and that you are... I'm kind of scary, and so I took the money and I hid it so that when you came back, I'd be able just to give it right back to you. And the, the master looks at him and he goes, away from me, you wicked and lazy servant. Now, for me, I'm like, okay, well, that seems kind of weird, right? Like, he didn't lose your money. But here's the crazy thing. That's Jesus telling the story, and it's to tell us that if we take what he's given us and just hold on and keep it tight and hope that we get through, like, that, that's not what he's called us to. That's, that's wickedness. That's laziness. The first investment that we should have is in eternity. Because the first call that God makes is obedience. Number two, powerful vision crushes the critic's voice. Verse 17, this is what it says. Whoop, my Bible's stuck. It says, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. See, 
powerful vision is going to have critics. When you start doing what you're called to, you're going to have critics. And guys, I got news for you. That always isn't external. Some of that's internal. Some of that's second guessing and some of that's worry and fatigue and anxiety. Like those things also can be critical of you. Listen, a resurrected Jesus shows up. All right, let's, let's take like five seconds to get our minds around that. A resurrected Jesus shows up. Like looking at you and me. Some worship him, and there are still some who look at him, and actually if you go to the Greek of what that word doubt is, it's hesitate. That's what it literally means. Some of them worship, some of them are like, it's a dead guy. It's a little weird. To the resurrected Jesus. See, but dynamic vision is always going to have his doubters, but Jesus looks right through that and gives purpose to his people. And he says, all authority has been given to me, and because all that authority, you go. And because Jesus has authority, he has authority over the things that we would fear, that the disciples would fear. He has authority over sickness and disease. He has authority over marriages and relationship. He has authority over death and life. He has authority over the rulers and the principalities and everything that exists in the world that is evil, that is coming to hurt you. And he has authority over Satan, who Scripture says is prowling the earth like a lion waiting on his prey. Jesus says, because I have been given all of this authority, you go and do these things. That should pump us the heck up. You know what that is? Nothing can come against you. Nothing can destroy you. Even if the worst thing in heaven, or on, excuse me, on earth happens to you, that you're in heaven, it's actually the best thing that can happen as long as you know Jesus. But we're scared of that. But you know why we can't be? Because people's lives are at stake. And because eternity matters. And he gives them this mission. He says, make disciples of all nations. Church, notice quickly, it doesn't say, go and make converts and pat yourself on the back. And then as they leave, be like, well, we're still going to count them, right? It says, make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Trinity. Teach them to obey everything Jesus has commanded. You know what's crazy about this? That that purpose that God gives his people, that's different than what Jesus did while he was on earth. Do you know how many disciples he made? 11, 12. He made 12. One of them hung him up on a tree or got him there. I guess gave him the vehicle to get there. Jesus didn't make disciples. He made his 12, and then he gave those 12 the purpose of going out. Now, I'm not saying people didn't follow him or hear what he said. Like, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that that wasn't his goal while he was on earth. His goal was to defeat death and then put purpose in his disciples. The third and last thing is this. Is that purpose makes the sacrifice worthy. Apathy hates sacrifice and purpose. And yet, that's exactly what Jesus says in this. He says, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Does that sound fun? I mean, like I've gone through the Old Testament laws, 
A lot of super unfun stuff there, right? I love crab cakes. It's a tough one for me. Now, if it's your first time, I'm not, we don't follow Old Testament law here, don't worry. Some of you guys are like, I'm never coming back here. I can't have uh, wool blended clothing on. That's a shame. Now I'm saying no. No, the thing Jesus taught was to love God and love each other as oneself. But he also taught a lot of other stuff like, hey, don't, don't cheat on your wife. Don't murder people. Like, seek after God's face and watch what he does. Trust him, give to him, follow him. Allow him to be your purpose, your hope. Those are things that we've messed up. But that's exactly what he says to do. He, he says, listen, go and make disciples, go baptize them, go teach them and obey them. And then the last thing he says is to trust him. For I will never leave you. I'm with you until the end of the age. The only way that all of that sacrifice that Jesus calls us to is worthwhile is if we understand the purpose of the sacrifice in order to make it worthwhile. And it's not to follow God's law, or not to follow man's law of things that God didn't say, which is a huge catch-up here in the Southern culture, if we're being honest with ourselves. That's tearing apart the church. There's a lot of people in church who are like, yeah, I love church, but there's a lot of people out of church who are scared to come because we've told them to follow man's law instead of God's. Kills me. But that sacrifice he calls us to, without purpose, it becomes bitterness in us. Because we forget what the payoff is, and the payoff is shifting an entire culture. When an entire culture shifts, generations change. When generations change, we get closer to Jesus and further from our sin. And things like alcoholism and anger, they die. When Jesus steps in, Things like poverty and this cycle that we have of keeping poor people poor and rich people rich, it doesn't matter because it pulls people out of poverty. It pulls people out of fear. It takes kids that grow up in broken homes, and Jesus steps in, and they break the chains of their family to now have a wife or a husband that they walk with for the rest of their lives, and they break the chain of adultery to their children and their children's children's children. That's what happens when Jesus steps in. That's why the sacrifice that Jesus calls us to is absolutely worth it. But when that becomes apathy, guys, everything fails. Something we did last year is that we set two goals. And I know I'm preaching the whole series. I'm about to wrap up here about goals aren't as good as vision. And I'm here to tell you that's why I said that. We had two goals. One goal was get out of the middle school that we were in because it was terrible. And although there were six stalls, you know, if you went in there with one other person, you're going to be able to high five, and that's too close. But we said we want somewhere semi-permanent so we can begin to do the ministry we're called to do. Here we are. And the second was to double our congregation size. We've more than done that. But what happened is when we achieved those goals, we sat back in the summer and we were like, wow, we kind of missed the boat. What are we doing? We've done what we felt like we needed to do. We thought achieving goals would accomplish our mission. And what I've learned as your pastor is that vision is the dynamic gas in the tank. And that that's not dynamic to just come up with two things you want to do. 
And so we have sat through and thought, here's what we want to do. And the first thing is this. We're going to be a church that has a starfish commission. Commission is co mission, together and calling. See, about six years ago, starfish went, and went all throughout the coast of Australia and the Gold Coast and began eating and destroying the Great Barrier Reef, a coral. And a group of, well, like do-gooders, you know, great intentions, people who wanted to do things well, went and they said, here's what we'll do. We'll just go dive and we'll just cut the starfish, kill them, and then they'll go away. The problem is they weren't scientists. And they didn't realize that doing that actually doubled and tripled the starfish. So they made a horrible problem that much worse because they, as they cut the starfish, they just grew their limbs back, and then those limbs grew into more starfish. And then that was more of them to come together and create more starfish. So six months later, they had three times the starfish that they had on the first point. And that's terrible when it brings death, but it's beautiful when it brings life. And so we want to be a church that takes a great commission with a starfish mentality of reproducing and producing disciples. And that doesn't mean the staff. That means us. We want to change what we care about. The vision of our church must be owned by the church. So we want to change what we care about. We want to train you, to walk with you, to equip you to fulfill the purpose that you've been called to as a follower of Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, we want to help you work through that. So we want to teach how to have spiritual conversations, not to where you sit and you're like, I'm going to leave this booklet with a moderate to okay tip and I'll do my evangelical duty. Please don't do that. No, what we want to do is begin having conversations with people in our lives of just caring for them and then bringing them to a place where they can meet Jesus. The third thing we want to change what we care about is we want to have a church full of three tea givers. It's time, talent, and treasure. Listen, your time is the most sacred and important thing you have, and we do not want to waste a single moment of what you give to this place and to the kingdom with it. It's the only finite thing you have in your life. So we want to be purposeful in the time that we ask from you. But we want you to step in and understand that the investment you make with your time into a church, into the kingdom of God, is the greatest payout you can ever receive. The second is talent. We want you to know how you're put together so that you can utilize that well for the kingdom and for yourself. And the third is treasure. We want to take more of what we get every month and put it into the ministry of the church. I've even taken a, a fuller step back and I'm raising half my salary or going and getting another job so that we can do more with what we've been given to put into the ministry of the church. And so we want to ask you to take those steps with us so that we can do more and impact more people for the kingdom of God with the mission that we've been given. See? And the last thing is we're going to we want ownership and discipleship in community. We have new staff. Part of the reason those kids are so excited is because we have new children's directors, Carmen and Doug Slayton. And Doug loves to have fun. So there'll be a lot of that screaming probably. 
Not that it wasn't fun before because it was awesome, but a new kind of new kind of fun. We have new pastors coming on staff, ordaining the beautiful and talented Josh Bradford here in a couple weeks as our executive pastor to give oversight. Yeah, and you can clap for that. To give oversight to our finances and to give oversight to uh, our staff and make sure our people are taken care of. We're ordaining Marcus Jones, who's actually preaching his first time in a couple weeks as a care pastor, so that when you have a need that goes beyond what I'm able to do, that we have someone who is near licensed and will be licensed soon to walk with you and to walk with this community through things. And we're ordaining our student minister, Mikey, to bring more validity to his role and his calling, because he's incredible as well. And it starts, all this starts next week with our serve team training. We'd love for you to be a part of that. We want to equip you to be followers of Christ and fishers of men. We want to facilitate opportunity for your marriage and your family to matter. And we're going to take a lot of time to engage in community. We want to give you opportunities as a family to come and worship and serve with your family. We want to give you opportunities uh, in your specific demographic to go and have community. We have our women's group starting back Wednesday night at 6.30 soon. We have Leaf and Lager tomorrow night. We have men's groups and golf groups that are happening. And we have an incredible student ministry. And the last thing I want to really encourage you in, one thing I hear a lot of is, even for a church our size, that people don't really know each other as well. And so I want to just encourage you to be weird for a moment. After church, as you're about to leave, I want to encourage you, instead of just going and finding the people you always hang out with after church to go have lunch, I want you to go find someone new. You can bring them as a buffer, bring your comfortable friends as well, but go and invite someone else to go have lunch too. Spend time getting to know your community because when a community has purpose and vision and comes together, cultures and cities change. And church, I'm not doing 2019 again. It's 2020. Take the mission Jesus has given and let's make it matter. Amen? Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much. And Lord, as we wrap up our gathering this morning, I pray that our hearts would be jubilant and excited. God, that we would take this mission and make it real in our hearts that we wouldn't, <clears throat> we wouldn't fear things like serving. We wouldn't fear things like giving. We wouldn't fear things like uh, having spiritual conversation with people that we want to be the spiritual starfish to this city. That we would multiply by making disciples. That the seats in here would fill up, not so that we can have more people, but so that it would be proven that you change eternities and lives and you break cultural chains. Lord, help us be a place of joy and of peace and of purpose. And in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you were encouraged by the message and you feel closer to Christ than you ever have before. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, visit us in person, or help support our mission as we seek to love Jesus, serve others, and live unified, check us out online at trailside.church, or you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks so much for listening, and we can't wait to see you again soon.